Are you with me? Yes. Okay, awesome. Let's see if we can keep that up. Um, <laughs> so, I want to start with an illustration. Um, let's, let's, let's take it back to back home down the mountain. Just imagine you're at your house and your best friend shows up at your door and he pulls out, or she pulls out, a sweet, brand new iPhone 7. And you're like, how did you get that? It's not even out yet. And they're like, it's crazy, man. There's a camera here and here, and there's like two side cameras. It's crazy. You can take like a full, like three-dimensional selfie. It's amazing. You know, so you're like talking about this phone. You're like, whoa, the iPhone 7, that's amazing. So the next day you go over to your friend's house and you're like, dude, let me see the iPhone. He's like, it's over here. And, he, and you walk over and the iPhone's just chilling in a fishbowl. You'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why is that iPhone in a fishbowl? And they're like, I didn't know what it was for. Like, I was trying to figure it out, and like, I pressed the button, and I saw like this sweet like space wallpaper, and I was like, I guess that's cool. I'll put it in my fishbowl, and then it can entertain my fish. You'd be like, no, you're dumb, and then the phone just shorts out and doesn't work anymore. It's like, it's a misunderstanding, and I think misunderstandings sometimes lead to missed opportunities. Um, in another way, um, I knew of a guy who, uh, he got this tattoo. It was a Hebrew tattoo. You know, he's got it on his arm, and it's these Hebrew symbols. And he was asked, you know, what, have you guys ever seen that? Anybody with, like, the Hebrew word, like, tattooed on their arm or whatever? So, yeah, the guy looks at it, his friend. He's looking, he's like, what, what does that mean? He's like, oh, bro, it's strength. It's the Hebrew word for strength, bro. And it's really personal to me. It's, so, it's strong and epic and just reminds me, like, the mighty lion of Judah. It's, like, so rad. And then, you know, he's at Bible college, and uh, his Hebrew professor sees the, sees the tattoo, and he's like, that's a really interesting tattoo. What made you choose that? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's strength, bro, strength. And he goes, the Hebrew professor says, you know what, that's, that's actually not the Hebrew word for strength. It's, it's the word for matzah, which is it's the, it's the cracker you eat for communion. So um, misunderstandings can cause us to fail to communicate. Um, and finally, misunderstandings can sometimes change our entire life. Like imagine, um, you know, imagine that there's a, a man who comes up to you and he's got a long flowing beard, but he's not Santa. He looks straight up homeless and he keeps coming up and he wants to talk to you. And you're like, I don't want to talk to you, old man. Leave me alone. He's like, no, please. I really want to speak to you. And you, you just won't have anything with him. And this guy's like tracking you down for years and years. Like every day you show up in the parking lot. And he's like, please let me talk. And you're like, no, no. And then he passes away and he doesn't have to bother you anymore. And you're like, man, that, that guy was creepy. I wonder what he wanted. And then you find out it was your great, great grandfather, and he wanted to pass down an inheritance of billions of dollars to you, but you missed it because you were too freaked out. Misunderstandings can change our entire life, and I, I think sometimes our misunderstandings about heaven can lead us to missed opportunities and change the course of our life, not for the better, but for the worse. Um, so tonight we're talking about heaven, and it's a topic as Christians we all know, like every single one of us, like we, we, we know what heaven is. Um, you know, I, I asked my students, you know, I texted them over the weekend, I was like, what, what do you guys think? Like, what, what is the kingdom of heaven? You know, one girl, Morgan, she was like, oh, it's like a castle on a cloud, you know, and another person was like, it's like this never-ending worship service, you know, you just, you show up, and it's just good, good father for like a million years, and you're like, yes, <laughs> you know, um, it's weird though, like we get these ideas of heaven, like it's fluffy cloud land, and there's like naked babies everywhere with wings, and you know, just we, it's just, it, we get these weird ideas of heaven, and while there may be some truth to those examples. There's so much more to the picture of what heaven actually is. And not just the idea of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven is what we're talking about tonight. So, um, are you with me? Is everyone with me? Yeah? Okay, cool. 
Um, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 in verse 9 is where we're going to pick it up. Jesus' disciples come to him and they're like, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. Like when you talk to God, what do you talk about, Jesus? What is that about? You know, these are Jesus' followers, his disciples. They're trying to be like him. They're trying to model themselves after Jesus. So they go to him and they ask him. So Jesus says in verse 9, he says, listen, guys, in, in this manner, therefore pray. Our, let, let's read it out loud together, everybody, okay? So, verse 9. Start with our Father. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts our debtors. (laughs) And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So rock. Lord, we just want to come to you right now and we want to ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to fully comprehend and understand the truth of your kingdom and the reality of your kingdom. God, we want to know about this because, God, you did not just save us, Lord, so that we can get a get-out-of-hell-free card, but you saved us so that we could get into this kingdom and live for this kingdom. God, we want to know what your heart is. So we just pray you speak, God. I can't say anything that will impact anyone without your Holy Spirit. So we ask that it would fall down right now and enter this room and fill this place. In your name, amen. Amen. So, I want to tell you guys, one, two, three, four, five things about the kingdom, five things about the kingdom that hopefully will shape the way you view it and enhance the rest of this camp for you. The first thing I want to tell you about heaven is heaven is a place that is already, but not yet. Can we repeat that? Heaven is already, but not yet. So... When I texted my students, I got several responses. A girl named Leah responded to me. And I said, Leah, what, what, how would you personally define the kingdom of heaven? And Leah said, it's where God is. It's his holy realm. Awesome sauce. That's great. Heaven is God's space. It's where God is. Then she says, it's our home. We weren't made to be on this earth. We were made to be in heaven with God. Now, how many of you guys have heard a statement like that before? Like, this world is not my home, right? Um, Okay, so when I read that, I was praying about it, and I was thinking about it, I was like, but wait, let's think about this, because there's truth in all of these statements, but we need to examine the other side. So, think about it. The statement is, we weren't made for this earth. We were made to be in heaven with God. So... What were Adam and Eve made for? Have you ever thought about that? Like, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Where did he put Adam and Eve? On the earth. earth. Exactly. Um, Now, was there like an ulterior motive? Like, God put them on earth, and he's like, okay, you're going to spend like 100 years on here, and then I'm going to take you somewhere else? No, it seemed like the earth was their home. Like, God made Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a garden, and he says, like, basically what God was doing was, in the beginning, he's setting up his kingdom. He's saying, I'm creating the world. I, heaven is my space. Heaven is like, like, I think of it, you know how like we're 3D, you know? 
I think of heaven kind of as like 40. It's like this fourth dimension. And I'm not going to get like too weird in that, but that's just kind of how I understand it. Like, don't quote me on that or whatever. But it's like, it's, it's this place that's real. There's a spiritual realm here on earth. There's angels and demons and like God's there and Satan's there. Like, we believe this stuff. We just don't think about it that often or talk about it that often. I feel like I, I could talk about it more. So Adam and Eve get put on the earth and, and, and they're called to live on it and they're called to work in it. God gives Adam a job. That's, it wasn't like, uh, some people think of like the Garden of Eden was like, um, you know, like retirement on the beach for Adam. Like God just made Adam and he's like, all right, you and Eve, just chill. I'm gonna have some angels like fan you with a leaf. You know what? You know what was the first thing God gave Adam? Does anyone know? It was a job. He gave him a job. He said, Adam, take care of my garden. Take care of my planet. Take care of Eden. Take care of these animals. Give them names. He's walking around. He's like naming everything. He's like, oh, deer. So rad. It's dear to my heart. It's like what he's thinking. He's naming things. Now, I want to just like give you guys to start this off like the story of God's kingdom because I believe the Bible is all one story. It's not just a collection of books and principles and sayings and teachings about morality. The Bible is actually God's story. In fact, all of human history is his story. It's all God's story. So how does it start? It starts with, in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth, puts Adam and Eve on the planet. And the plan God has is, this is where my kingdom's going to be. Heaven and earth, the place it came together was in Eden. That's where God was, and that's where man was. Um, If you guys know in the Bible, what did God do with man? He... He walked with him. He strolled with him. He hung out with him. Adam didn't have to have animal sacrifices. Adam didn't have to like go and like, like, you know, kneel down in the woods and pray. Adam walked with God. He talked with God. Eden was this space where heaven and earth connected. We think of heaven as like kind of like, I always at least thought of it as like earth is in the middle, hell somewhere down below, and heaven's like way up in space somewhere, like past Jupiter and Mars. But really, heaven is this like, I mean, heaven is huge. Like it expands like the universe, you know what I mean? Like, because God is everywhere, right? We get that, right? But God places on earth, there's this space where heaven meets earth and it connects, and that's where Adam and Eve are. But then something happens. Who knows? What's it called? The what? The fall, okay? So what happened in the fall? The snake slithers up. I imagine like that snake in the jungle book. He like comes up and he's like got the swirly eyes, you know? He's like, trust in me. (laughs) And uh, totally tricks Eve. She disobeys. One simple act of disobedience rips heaven and earth apart. Rips them apart. Just It's this violent tearing. And it creates this wall of separation. This is not just a story about a God and his people. It is that. But it's actually also a story about a king and his mission to rescue his kingdom and his children. So the, the kingdom is ripped apart. So what happens? Adam and Eve exiled. The world gets crazy and dark because... A new kingdom has invaded God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of Satan. And we know the world gets so invaded by the kingdom of darkness that the entire planet is filled with sin. God has to destroy it. He sends a flood. Everyone perishes except for Noah and his family. Then they get back out, and God says, there is a plan. In fact, the plan goes back to Eden. If you guys know the story, God has this prophecy he gives Eve and Adam. He says, the serpent has prevailed at this point, but one day you will have a son. 
One day there will be a child and he will be the snake crusher and he will take the kingdom back. It's this awesome story. It's this awesome, like, just, it's this awesome statement of like, one day things are going to be set right. So everyone's wondering, like, when's that going to be set right? Well, the world starts to get populated again by Noah and his family. Things start to get bad again. People are worshiping false gods that don't even exist. People are worshiping demons. Satan's winning. Again, it seems like Satan's winning. Well, God goes to a guy named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I have chosen you and your family is going to be a family that will bless all the nations of the world. You guys know that story, right? Abraham. I used to think what that meant was just like one day Israel is going to be really rad and like they're going to like, I guess people are going to love them and it's going to be awesome and you know, they're just going to be a blessing and everyone's going to be like, Israel's the best. Did that, is that how it turned out? No, like people hate Israel. People are trying to wipe them out. So that's not exactly what that meant. Here's what it meant. The two statements God gives Abraham is one day you, your family, will bless the entire world and you will have a family that numbers more than the stars. The awesome thing is that prophecy comes through true because through Abraham, through his family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the children of Israel, through many years of just wandering in the wilderness and, and sin and exile and all these things, finally, finally we get Jesus. Jesus is born, and Jesus is what God has to say. If you've ever wondered, like, what does God have to say to me? I, you open the Bible, it's Jesus. You can just open the Bible, it's like, Jesus. Now, I know, like, in, in, you know, when a pastor asks you a question, like, hey, what'd you learn? You're like, uh, Jesus, you know, right? Uh, but the truth is, Jesus is the answer to, to the world's problems. So, you guys know, uh, hey, you guys in the story, or the song, uh, How He Loves Us? You guys heard that song before? Yeah? So do you guys know about the controversy? <laughs> I can't talk. The, the controversy. <laughs> I was trying to be like funny and be like the controversy, but it uh, came out weird. I was, trying to, I was trying to do like the Jimmy Fallon thing. Um, don't, man, just remind me to never try to do that again. Um, that was embarrassing. So do you guys know the controversy about that song? Anybody know? Anybody know? The lyric controversy? What is it? Sloppy. Sloppy. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, when heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Like, uh, my wife hates it when I give her an unforeseen kiss. Like, sometimes she's just chilling in her house, and I'll come up behind her and just, like, swoop down, give her a kiss on the cheek, and she's like, oh, you freaked me out. I didn't expect it. Um, the original lyric is, is sloppy, wet kiss, which denotes passion. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's sloppy, it's wet, it's passionate. I love that, okay? Um, you know why I love that? Because that's what God does. God's plan, he's, he's got a family, he's got a kingdom. It's ripped apart from him. His plan is, man, I am going to just come in and just heaven will meet earth. Like, it is coming back. The kingdom is coming back together. Man. That is what Jesus is all about. Are you with me? Yep. Yeah? Yes. Okay. A little less enthusiastic than last time. but uh, So I don't know if I have hope for the future. Um, <laughs> Jesus, when he died on the cross, that was the sloppy wet kiss, if you didn't know. <laughs> that is when heaven met earth. Do you guys know about the veil in the temple getting torn? You guys heard about that? Oh my gosh. That is sloppy and wet kissing right there. Like, that is, it's amazing. It is like... The veil, like the, the wall of separation that kept man from earth. Or no, 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 sorry. That kept man from God. Kept man from God. Torn in half. I love that. I love that God made that statement. I was just tripping out about that when I read it the other day. Like, oh my goodness. You didn't even have to do that, God. But you just wanted to be extra clear. 
It's gone. The wall is gone. The separation is gone. So what does Jesus say about the kingdom? What does Jesus say about the kingdom? Because here's where we come to in the prayer. He says in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right, right there, Jesus is like, just like coming against this idea that the only place the kingdom exists is in a far away space cloudland. Jesus is saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is heaven a place you go when you die? Absolutely. Is hell a place you can go when you die? Absolutely. But heaven is not just a far off future reality, it's a present reality. Because when Jesus came to earth, he brought heaven with him. It's not just this far away place that we go, it's like it starts here and it expands to up there. You know what I mean? That's, I love it. When we only view the kingdom as a distant future event, we rob ourselves of the kingdom's present power. For me, um, I love the Cars ride at Disneyland. Anyone love the Cars ride at Disneyland? I love it. It's so good. But the line is so long, you know? It's the worst. And you know it's going to be like this great ride for like 10 seconds and it's going to be over. But, you know, the line is so long. So many times... Christian teenagers and adults and senior citizens, everybody. Um, So many times, the way that we view heaven, the way that we view Christianity and faith, it's like the cars ride line. It's like, it's sure going to be awesome when I get there, but man, I got to get through this line. Oh man. And there are trials and tribulations, brother. It's hard. (laughs) You know, and when you're in the line for the cars ride, you're always around all these people you don't know. And it's like weird and you're like together, but it's like, I don't like them. And this is weird. And uh, we're all like smushed together. That's sometimes that's what Christianity feels like. You're just with all these people. It's like, "Eh," everyone's still like trying to be like loving and weird. And just, uh, I just want to get there. I just want to get to heaven. I just want it to all be over with. Man, we, we miss out. We miss out. You know, Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about the narrow gate, you know? He says, hey, you got to enter, enter by that narrow gate. you got to take that narrow road. And a lot of Christians hear that, and it's like, life is so narrow. Oh, my gosh. It's like my life is in a box, you know? It's just like, oh, there's so many things I can't do. You know, there's this whole list of things I can't do. These people I can't talk to, people I can't hang out with, stuff I can't do, and my whole life is just in a box. But when I get to heaven, oh, then things will, then it'll be worth it, all the suffering I went through as a Christian teenager who had to obey his parents and just, you know, ah. Oh. Guys, listen, you need to just throw that line of thinking completely out the window because it's trash, okay? Yes, it's a narrow door, but it opens up to a world that's wider than you could ever imagine. When you start living for the kingdom here on earth, it opens up your horizons to just just mind-blowing levels of joy, happiness, and fulfillment that you can never find outside the walls of the kingdom. So, I noticed Nightmare Before Christmas on the pajamas, right? Jack Skellington. Has anyone seen that movie? Nightmare Before Christmas? So, you guys know, in that movie, you've got the Halloween town. You know, it's all, I, I used to not be allowed to watch that movie because my parents saw the trailer and it looked, like, really dark. It's actually, like, a fun, like, happy movie. But anyway, if you're still not, if you're still not allowed to watch it, I'm sorry if I stumbled you. Um, but, uh, you know, there's all these, like, there's all these, like, skeletons and, like, pumpkins and stuff, and they live in Halloween town. Um, and then there's, like, all these, like, elves and, like, Santa and, like, reindeer, and they live in Christmas town. For them... The town they live in, it's the kingdom they live in, it is what they're all about. Because when you live in Christmas land, Christmas, it's coming. 
December 31st, right? 25th, yeah. I don't know things. I'm stupid. Hey, no one, no one knows the day or hour that Christmas comes. Um, yeah, they do. I'm just dumb. But anyway, but you know what I mean? They're living in Christmas land, and it is like Christmas is coming, December 25th. They know it's going to be there, but it's not just their future reality. Christmas is their present reality because every day is Christmas. There's snow and lights. They're making toys. They're excited because it's coming, and it's awesome, and they're living in it. Christmas is not just like we do where it's like, oh, it's a one-month thing, and, and then we go back to our normal lives. No, they live in the moment of Christmas, and that is, as Christians, what we're called to do. We're called to live in the reality of the kingdom. It's not just like, sweet, I'm saved. See you in heaven, Jesus. No, you know what that is? That's like being a vampire Christian. You know what I mean by that? It's like you say to Jesus, you know what, God, like, I'll just, I, I'll like a little bit of your blood, you know, just, just a little bit, but then I'll see you in heaven. I'm going to go live my own life. No, Jesus calls you to be baptized in his blood, and that stain is not coming out easy. Once you, once you submerge yourself into the blood of Christ, that is your life. That's what, at least that's what he's called us to. It's not just where we go when we die. It's where we live now. When the Pharisees came to Jesus, you know what he said? They asked him, they said, Jesus, you're talking about this kingdom, you know? That's what you're all about. You know, you, you talk about the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. Like, oh. And they ask him, they say, Jesus, what, when will we see the kingdom? Like, will it come down on a cloud or will we see it in a far off distant land? You know what Jesus said to him? He said, the kingdom of God is not something that you'll see floating down on a cloud, like off in a distance, and you go, there's the kingdom. It's not a place where you'll hear, like, a certain country is the kingdom. Like, oh, sweet, like, American has the most Christians. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're the kingdom. Let's move there. Or China has, like, a huge, sweet, underground Christian population. Like, that's where the kingdom is. We got to move there because that's where it's happening. You know what Jesus said? He said, the kingdom of God is among you. You know why he could say that? Because he was the king. And where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. So that's the first thing. Are you with me? All right. Second thing. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's it's upside down. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. In our way of thinking, when we think of a kingdom, who gets to inherit the kingdom? The rich, the powerful, People with the connections, with the money, you know, those are the ones who get into the kingdom. Jesus told a parable. And his parables, oh my goodness, Jesus' parables. I used to read them as like these weird little like morality lessons like, oh, like, okay, I guess Jesus says be nice. Uh, Yeah, Jesus definitely wants you to be nice, but he also wants you to know about the truth and the reality of the kingdom. So he tells this story. There's this parable Jesus tells you. And um, he says in the parable, there was a king, a great and glorious king with a giant Beard, or, or I almost said a, a beardly king. I meant a kingly beard, yes. And um, the king had a son, and that son was getting married. So the king was going to throw this huge smash party. And the king invites his friends, you know, the other nobles, the other rich guys, you know, he goes to them and says, we're having a party for my son. The king sends his messengers, and messengers go. You know what happens? The, the people who are invited to the, the, the wedding, they say, Ain't nobody got time for that. That's what they say. They're like, I'm not going to that wedding. Like, I got my business. Like, I got my stuff going on. Like, I don't care about your son. So the king keeps sending the messengers. Like, no, please come to the wedding. It's my son. It's really important. You know what they do? They kill the messengers. They murder them straight up. This is what Jesus says. Straight up murder the messengers. So the king says, you vicious heathens. Like, how? 
I'm throwing a wedding for my son. You're killing my messengers. Like, you better watch your back because I'm coming to destroy you, the people I thought were my friends. Then he goes to his servants and he says, okay, none of those losers are going to come to the wedding. You know what? Go out in the streets and just invite everybody. Everybody, my lord. Really? Everybody. Yes. <laughs> Even the beggars, sir. Yes. The crooks, the criminals. Yes, absolutely. Invite them. Like, go, like, the worst of the worst. Find, he says in the Bible, it says, Jesus says, go and find the good and the bad. So go, you know, find the baker and the butcher, the candlestick maker, and, you know, the town murderer. Like, <laughs> go hit him up. Like, just go get everybody and tell them, come to the wedding. So then the people show up at the wedding, and you know how they get in? The king just says, hey, listen, you're all invited to my wedding, and as a bonus, I made you these sweet, white, clean robes. Just put them on, and you can come into the wedding. And so, like, the people who are already, like, rich and nice are like, oh, sweet, look, another free shirt. The people who are, like, filthy beggars and criminals, they're like, oh, my goodness, like, I've never had a robe this amazing. And then they put it on, and, and, and it's, just, it's this amazing analogy, this picture that the kingdom is for everybody. It's upside down. It's not the, the, only the rich. Yeah, there's, there's going to be rich people in heaven. I, I have rich Christian friends. They're awesome. They buy me lunch. It's great. Uh, you know, they're awesome. But the kingdom is not just for the rich. It's for everybody. It's not, if you're here today, and you're like, man, the kingdom is for, like, the super spiritual person and you're looking at that one girl in the room who's like the most spiritual one it's like yeah the kingdom's definitely for you me i'm not so sure jesus says the kingdom is for all of you if you think the kingdom is not for you guess what it's for you it's an upside down kingdom everyone is invited um what jesus says is he says blessed are the poor when this is the sermon on the mount go read it for yourself it'll blow your mind read it through very slowly like each verse read it pray on that verse the king the sermon on the mount will blow your mind okay he says blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not just the rich, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the meek, the people who control their power, who are not just out stomping other people, climbing up the social ladder. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He said, blessed are those who hunger, the people who are just like, mm, I just I wish I had more in life. The people who say, I wish I could be better. I wish I could be more godly. The people who are like, oh, I'm not good enough. Jesus says, blessed are them because once they get in the kingdom, they will be filled. That, that, that feeling, that, that longing will be satisfied. He said, blessed are those who pursue, or pursue righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the people who kill each other to step on each other and, and move up and advance their own kingdoms. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about if you want to be in a kingdom, you've got to be like a little child. You've got to have that faith on God. Like when I was a kid, oh my goodness, I had the faith of a child, you know, because uh, my parents, they would drive me, you know, and uh, I don't know if you guys ever got to that point, you know, maybe you're still, you're still in that innocent child phase, but there's a point. I remember, like, I, I would ride in the car with my dad, and I had that childlike faith, like, man, dad is driving, like, I have nothing to worry about, like, I can just, like, sit here, like, read my comic books, play my Game Boy Advance, like, just, yes. like, dad is in control. Then I became a teenager and I realized, oh my goodness, my dad is just as bad a driver as my mom and me and everybody else. Like when my parents would be in the car, they would always be like, like, oh, stop, slow down. Like, don't make that turn. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, my innocence was lost because I realized I can't have that childlike faith anymore. For us, that never goes away with God. Like you can, even though you have struggles in your life, you have pain, you have hardships, you can sit in the backseat and go, everything's going to be okay because God is in the driver's seat. He calls us to have that faith like a child. Jesus says it would be harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to squeeze itself through an eye of a needle, which would be really funny to watch. You know, there's just like this needle, the camel's just like, like just keeps like running into it. Like you can't even get started, you know? Um, Jesus is saying, he's not saying that like, 
there's like all the rich people are going to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying for a rich person, for someone whose whole life revolves around their identity and their social status and their money and their wealth, they're not going to be able to place themselves in God's kingdom because they're living for their own kingdom. They're saying, God, I want you to come and help my kingdom. I want you to come and help make me richer, make me more popular, make me more successful. When you live for Jesus' kingdom, whether you're rich or poor, he doesn't call you to have him come be your genie in a bottle who's here to like, you know, remember the genie lad? What do you need? What do you need? What do you, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what he's there for. He's there. He invites us to be a part of his story. And it's hard. It's hard because... We're called the selfie generation. I guess I heard recently that like more people die from selfies than shark attacks, which is awesome. Uh, I guess that's not really awesome. I saw a guy taking a selfie in a video, on a YouTube video, and like a guy was on a train and he was on the ground and the guy on the train like totally like smacked his phone out of his hand as the train was going by, which was great. Um, but the, re- the reality, you all right? <laughs> um, the reality is, you know, you know what we want like right now? Socially, what we are told that is what will make us most happy, it's fame. Everybody wants to be famous. They did a a study um, years ago, and they asked teenagers your age, what do you guys want out of life? You know, what's the most you want? And they asked them, and uh, the survey came back, and teenagers your age said, um, this is like in the 50s, 60s, they they asked them and said, what do you guys want? And they said, I want to be somebody who helps people. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be somebody who contributes to society. And a lot of the responses had to do with wanting money and job security, but it was at least wanting to help people. Nowadays, 2015, 2014, they did the same survey with teenagers your age. What do you want out of life? What do you want most? You know what the results came back? I want to be famous. I want my name up in lights. I want everyone to go to my YouTube channel and check out my video blogs of me like reading my diary on the internet. Um, <laughs> I want people to like my Instagram feed and just like it so much that the like button works and it reaches like the, the 9,999. It's like you can't like it anymore. Like that's, that's what we want out of life. We want to make our own name famous. You know what Jesus said? He said, hey, you want to be great? In Matthew 20, 26, Jesus said, you want to be great? Be a servant. Be a servant of all. That's what the upside down kingdom looks like. In the earthly kingdom, you want to be great? You climb that ladder. In school, you gossip and you put other people down until you raise up and you are there and you've reached it and you've stepped on everyone else and you've brought them low and now you're big. In the world, when you graduate, it's, man, you just, you work so hard in college, like, you just are vicious and competitive academically, and you get the best grades, and you're valedictorian, and then you get to work, and it's like, you work hard, and, and you build your kingdom, and you step over everyone else, like, that's, that's, that's what it looks like. Jesus says, the upside-down kingdom, you want to be the greatest, be the servant. And didn't he model that for us? It's amazing. I love the story of Jesus washing his disciples' nasty, dirty feet. Like, just imagine, you know? You guys all come in, and, and Jesus is with us, you know. He's, he just decided to come by and chill for the day. Um, you know, he's there. And, you know, he, we all have been walking around out there in the mud and nastiness, and, like, someone stepped in, like, some dog stuff, you know, and it's just, like, it's, like, stuck in between their toes, you know. And, you know, Jesus, you know, his feet are really dirty, too, because for some reason he wanted us all to walk barefoot. And it's like, he's Jesus, so we're going to listen, you know. We're not going to disobey that. Um, 
and then we come in, you know, and everyone's kind of like looking at each other's feet and all, everyone's feet stinks and everyone's thinking like, man, what are we going to do? <laughs> this is gross. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and look at Jesus' feet. Like, should we wash his feet? Like, I don't know. I don't want to touch those feet. And then Jesus, like, takes his like robe, you know, and flips it halfway off, ties it around his waist and gets down on his knees and he just starts washing all of our feet in between the toes, even the guy who stepped in the, the dog stuff. Just, I mean, oh my goodness. He's the king. Should he be doing that? No, absolutely. But it's the upside down kingdom. And he shows us that's how we live. Guys, listen. Simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom. Okay? They're like the Lincoln logs of the kingdom. They're just, I'm like tripping out on this cabin. It's, it's great. <laughs> I love cabins. If I could live in a cabin, I would. I remember for me... Um, when I was a volunteer junior high counselor in my youth group, um, one day we were out in the alleyway and the kids made a mess and there was just trash everywhere. Someone broke some glass, you know? And I looked at it and I was like, huh. <laughs> I like walked away. And I came back out and there was this other guy named Brian. He was a youth leader. And he, he had been there so long doing youth ministry that uh, when I was a kid, he was actually my counselor. And I found him out there and he, he had a broom and a dustpan. He was just sweeping it up, you know? And I looked at that guy and I was like, that guy's the greatest. Like, I want to be like that guy. Why did I look at that mess and I just said, it's someone else's job? Guys, listen, simple acts of obedience. That's what it's about. If you want to build God's kingdom here, if you want to not just say, sweet, thank you for saving me, Jesus, now I'm going to live for myself until I die and then I'll get to go to heaven. I mean, what a, that's, that's, you know what that is? That's living with a saved soul but a wasted life, honestly. That's what it is. Jesus calls us to serve. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? <laughs> that... You come home from school, you've had a hard day. Hard, man, school is hard, you know? Track and field practice was hard, whatever you do. Lacrosse, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> you get home, and you're beat, you know? And you got homework coming up, and you're like, man, I've got like one precious hour before I gotta do my homework and cram for this test. And you're thinking, TV time, or sit on my phone and like swipe time, or like whatever. <laughs> And then you look, and there's a bunch of dirty dishes in the sink, you know? And you're thinking, huh, mom should do those dishes. Like, that could be our thought process. But you know what? Serving without being asked and without expecting anything back, oh, man, that is building bricks in the kingdom. Like, that is, God looks at that, and he is just stoked out of his mind. That's living in and for the kingdom. When you take the time to sit down with your little brother and sister and read them a Bible story and pray with them, that is building bricks in the kingdom. When you do your homework, not just because your teachers want you to, but because it's honoring to the Lord God who created your mind to learn and function and has given you the opportunity to be in the school you are. Yeah, school's a drag. I can admit it. Like, I hated it. I hated school. Absolutely. But if I could go back and do it again, I would have done it all for the Lord. I regret the missed opportunity I had. Even as a pastor's son, I did not give my all to school. It's not about getting the grade. Like, it's not about getting the grade. Because, honestly, some of you guys are perfectionists. Any, anyone want to, like, admit, like, self-professed perfectionists in the room? Okay, so for you, you know, you're going to work hard, you know, because that grade means everything. It means the, the, the transcripts and the SAT scores and getting to that college that you want to go to. And then if you blow it and you get a B plus, your whole world comes crashing down. <laughs> Right? Like, are you with me? Yeah? You get it? Okay, so listen, listen, listen. No bad grade, no bad grade can separate you from God's will for you 
and for his kingdom. Therefore, do your best and let Jesus take care of the rest. You do your best. Like, seriously, you really think that a bad grade, you really think flunking a class even, like you tried your best, you tried really hard, but you just couldn't get it and you failed. I failed Bible class one year, pastor's son. It was so embarrassing. My Bible teacher did not give us any assignments all year. He only gave us a final. And it was like half like Bible questions that I like ace. And the other half was like draw a picture of a story. And I forgot to flip over the paper and draw the picture. And I got a 50 and I failed. Oh, I was devastated. But you know what? That didn't separate me from what God had for my life. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to film school. It didn't happen. Didn't separate me from God's will for my life. I'm walking in God's will for my life. I'm doing what he's called me to do. And that doesn't mean you have to grow up and be a pastor. It means you grow up to be a follower. It means you grow up to be a disciple, whether you're working in a church or whether you're working in a McDonald's or whether you're working in a giant CEO, crazy big building. Are you living for yourself, for the money, for the prestige, or are you living for him? I want to ask you guys, like, Building bricks in the kingdom. Like, what, what if we loved others so much that it made people who didn't believe in God question their unbelief? Like, what if we just were so loving to everyone around us that people who weren't saved were like, man, dang, like, whatever they've got, like, that's what I want. Because I want to teach you guys an expression I taught my kids. And it's just really simple, but it's if Jesus is king, that changes everything. Can you say that? If Jesus is king, that changes everything. It's true. What's a kingdom? It's, it's living under the rule of a king. So back in the day, when Jesus shows up, he's not just saying, I'm here to be the king of the Jews. He's saying, I'm here to be the king of the world. There's a kingdom of darkness. I'm going to take back ground. I am going to fight the kingdom of darkness until it is gone, until it is extinguished. And he invites us to be a part of the process. We're not here to live for ourselves. That's the American dream. That's what we live in. It's you live and you get good grades and you do good in sports and you do good in whatever. And then you get a good college and you get good money and you get a good house with a big yard and maybe a boat and lots of cars in the garage and an awesome wife and a bunch of kids running around. And then one day you retire and you pick up seashells on the beach and then you die and then you go to heaven and God says good work no it's like no it's like it's just having a safe soul and a wasted life all that listen like that doesn't mean that doesn't I'm not saying drop out of college okay I'm not I'm not we were in high school so that doesn't make sense I'm not saying drop out of high school I'm not saying like like all I'm saying is live for God's kingdom first that's the whole game right what seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you so I'm going to go to the third thing. The kingdom of God is among you. He's among you. He's with you. Are you with me? Because he's with you. So I texted my friend David. And I asked David, how would you define the kingdom of God? David said, I define it as perfection. A place where there is no more sickness or disease, a place without sorrow, and a place where we can truly be with our creator. And I had this sick conversation with David because I was like, okay, I totally agree with you. It is that perfect place where there's no more sickness, there's no more disease, there's no more sorrow, and it's a place where we can truly be with our creator. And when we die and we go to that final destination where the kingdom of heaven is fully realized in everything it's meant to be, when Christmas Day comes, basically, and the kingdom is just fleshed out and the earth is just overtaken with God's kingdom, like that day is going to be sick. But you know what? When Jesus showed up and he said, the kingdom of God is among you, what happened to the sick people? What did he do? He healed them, right? What happened to the sick hearts? He healed those too. What happened to the people with sorrow? 
when Jesus was there, when the king was there, when Jesus brought the kingdom there, those things went away. The kingdom, David said, is a place where we can truly be with our creator, but you would be bummed out if you only thought the place you can truly be with your creator is that final destination. Because Jesus says, I am with you. He's here. Did you know he's in this room? Did you know he is here? Like he is present. He is living and breathing all around us. He is amazing. Like he's better than the force in Star Wars. Like he is not just a force, but a person. Like he is here. I'm so excited and I hope I'm making him happy with this talk. Um, (laughs) I love him and I'm glad he's here. And I I hope he's speaking to you right now through the words that are being shared. Christianity, guys, it's not so much about you asking Jesus into your heart and then just waiting it out till heaven. It's, it's, It's even more about him asking you to join him in his kingdom and what's your response to that? Because I know so many people who raise their hand and say, Jesus, come into my heart, and then they just keep living their life the same way they always did and nothing changes. You know why? Because they missed. They got Jesus, but they missed the kingdom. They said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and here I go. I'm going to go sin some more, and I'll come back next week, and I'll ask for forgiveness. They're just, all they're doing is just sucking the life force off of Jesus. They're, 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 they're rejecting the kingdom. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that we do it. And I'll admit, I've been the first to do that. There's been so many times in my life where I was just so happy I didn't have to go to hell and I would sin and I would think, all right, like I know this is bad, but he'll forgive me later. And that's, that's not living for the kingdom. That's living for my kingdom. And then that's going over to Jesus and asking to borrow some grace when he called me to live in grace. The waiting game can be tough. If all you're doing is just waiting to die and go to heaven, you know, if you're just, if you're reading the news and you're freaked out about what's going on in the world and you're like, man, I just got to like get in my rapture bunker and like stock up and like wait for the rapture. I think the, hey, I think the rapture is coming. I think it's coming. But we're not called to freak out and hide. We're called to go out and live. We're called to live for the kingdom. We are called to just affect the world and spread the kingdom. Will Jesus return? Question, will Jesus return? Yes. yes. So he's coming back. But didn't he also say he's here? Yes, it's crazy, mind-blowing. Already, not yet. It's, it's crazy. It is, it is a, it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, not because I said it, because it's, it's, it's the Bible. Um, I was talking to some, um, friends, some high school boys the other night, and they were, I was asking them, you know, hey, do you, guys, uh, do you guys read your Bible? Do you spend time with Jesus? And they were like, no, bro. It's too hard. I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, hey, you guys are Star Wars fans, right? And they were like, yeah, bro. And I was like, okay, so imagine you are a Padawan learner, okay? You guys know what that is? Padawan? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Padawan learner. You're like the Jedi in training, and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn want to hang out with you. They come, they, they say, hey, wake up, get out of bed, Padawan. We're going to go on a mission. First, we're going to go to the Jedi Temple, and we're going to read up on like Jedi like lore and like mythology, and like, or not even mythology, because in that world, it's actually true, so it's not myths. It's truth. It's myths for us, truth for them. Anyway, um, sorry. I'm kind of a spaz. Um, but it's like, hey, get up. We're going to go on a mission. We're going to use the Force. We're going to train. We're going to like read the Jedi teachings. It's going to be amazing. You, like, I asked them, like, would you be like, nah, I'm just going to sit here on my phone and like, just scroll. No, you you would get up because the kingdom of the Jedi would mean something to you. You'd have something to fight for. Guys, you have something to fight for. 
You're not called to just get saved and go to church once a week and like get something out of it and like go back home and keep doing your own thing and then you sin, you come back and you repent at church. Like that, that's, that's not what you're called to do. Guys, the church, it's not a fortress to keep you safe from all the bad things in the world. Andrew and the youth group and Pastor John and your church, it's not a fortress, it's a training ground. It's a training ground where you go and you get filled up and you get released back into the world and you are just unleashed on the world for God's glory. Fourth thing, we're gonna move quickly for, to wrap this up. The fourth thing, the kingdom of God is advancing. Okay? Can you repeat that? The kingdom of God is advancing. I think this is my favorite point, okay? Um, so, I was talking to my friend Zach. Text to Zach. Zach, what, how would you define the kingdom? Zach said, uh, yeah, the kingdom of heaven to me is the finish line. It's a finish line that's so satisfyingly amazing that we cannot comprehend how great it truly is. It's our eternal home, eternal paradise, and eternal resting place where we are amazed by the presence of God forever. I also imagine and McDonald's is close by. I was like, sweet. If that's your, I don't know if you're thinking of heaven. I think you're thinking of the other place. Um, anyway, though, um, just with that McDonald's thing, but I was reading that, that text from Zach, and I was like, dude, Zach, so right. It's the finish line. Heaven is what we're fighting for. It's what we're living for. But I would counter and say, it's not just the finish line. It's the starting line. When you accept Jesus into your heart, you're not just accepting his forgiveness for your sins. You are accepting that he is your king. You are accepting that he is your Lord. You know how we pray, Lord, Lord, Lord. That means king. And like, if you, if I were to go to like a foreign land and kneel down before a king and say, I pledge myself to you. And he's like, sweet, now go and do these things. <laughs> and then I like went and I didn't do any of them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I like come back on Sunday. I'm like, king, you're so rad. Look, praise you. And then I leave, you know? <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of times what we do. Guys, heaven, it's not just the finish line. It is the finish line, but it's also the starting point. You start by pledging your allegiance to the kingdom and saying, I live for the kingdom. I fight for the kingdom. If necessary, I die for the kingdom. My life revolves around the kingdom. Guys, the story of the Bible is not just about God trying to get us into heaven. It's actually also about God getting heaven into earth and getting hell out of earth. Like God wants to rock this world with his presence and his power. And for me, like that just, that gives me so much more to live for. Because here's the false picture we paint. The false picture we paint is that we're on a sinking ship, like earth sinking ship, right? It's a sinking ship and it's going down and we just gotta hang on because the king will come and rescue us and take us to shelter one day. That is a true, but it's a half truth. Here's a more full picture, more accurate. We were sinking, but the king came, risked his own life, pulled us out of the water and said, join me as we overthrow the evil empire and fight to restore my kingdom. And then one day we're gonna go to the full kingdom. It's gonna be this big party. It's gonna be awesome. Like, doesn't that sound so much better than just like, we gotta hold on, we gotta hold on. And then like, it's really bad, stuff's really bad here, and like, I don't know what to do about it. He, he's calling you to fight. <laughs> like, when you turn on the TV and you read the news and things look really bad in the world, he's not calling us to freak out and go, oh, that's scary, come back. No, he's saying, get on your knees and pray against it. When you see drama and, and, and violence and, and gossip and bad things happening in your school, when you see pain and destruction in your family, that is literally the forces of hell invading your school, invading your family. We're not called to sit by. We're called to pray and to act. 
We are called to literally get on our knees, stock up with the power of prayer, and swing the sword of encouragement. You go to your friend who's going through a hard time, and you just go, oh, that's her problem. No, you go to her, and you, you say, listen, I got a Bible verse for you. I got God's word for you. I want to share something from God. You are literally taking back ground from the enemy. You are. Like, some of you right now are living in homes that the enemy has, like, put his flag on. He's like, this is mine. You don't have to sit by and take that. Get on your knees, pray. If your family's not walking with the Lord, go to your parents and say like, hey, mom, dad, can we like read the Bible together? Can we pray? You will be taking back ground. And guys, this is, this is what we're longing for. It's what we've been looking for. How many of you guys love movies like Star Wars, Hunger Games, like all this stuff? What is it about? It's about like the, the one special like person. Like it's always like Luke Skywalker. Like he's more special than anybody. He, he can fight with a lightsaber better than anyone in the world. Or Katniss, like she's the best at shooting a bow. She's perfect. Like she's amazing. And like only she can save the universe. Um, and we all kind of like watch those movies and we put ourselves in the hero position. It's like, yeah, like if, if only, if only like there was an evil empire I can fight that I could be Katniss. You can. <laughs> there is an evil empire. It is the kingdom of darkness and hell that is literally fighting to just, like, Satan knows he's going down. He knows hell is his final position in place. He looks at everyone in the world and he says, if you're not a Christian, I want to take you to hell with me. And he says, if you are a Christian, I want to make your life on earth a living hell. I want to literally ruin your life as a Christian and rob you of your joy. Like Satan just, he loves that. You know what I love? Taking back that ground. I love fighting. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> Prepare the way of the Lord. How does the kingdom advance? How does the kingdom advance? I'm almost done, I promise. So the, the kingdom advances in a couple of different ways. One is the renewing of hearts. The renewing of hearts. Just imagine everyone you know who doesn't know Jesus, their heart, it was designed by God. I'm not talking about their blood pumping vessel. That's different. Talking about this thing inside them, (laughs) their heart, their soul. It was designed by God to be a bridge that allows God to have a relationship with them. That heart has been darkened, blackened by Satan and sin. What Jesus came to do was to renew hearts. I could do a whole nother study, but I won't. But for me, one of the biggest ways I've realized is through preaching the gospel evangelism. Because I used to be so scared, even as a pastor and a Christian, and God said, hey, get over it. Go out, tell people about Jesus. It'll rock your world. It has rocked my world, guys. Like, we've gone out, me and my youth group, and we just go out, we tell people about Jesus, and like, people have gotten saved. It's crazy. We've planted seeds. Like, it's awesome. I would challenge you, at your school, realize you are a missionary. You are a missionary. Another way is through the destruction of sin. Now check this out. Horrible thing in the world is sex trafficking. It's a horrible thing. And every year, like somewhere around 2 million girls are taken from their homes. These are poor, impoverished countries where their families cannot afford anything. And basically, this like slick salesman type guy comes to the door and says, hey, listen, like your daughter has a ton of potential. We want to take her to the big city and we will give her a job. She'll be a receptionist. She'll be, um, you know, a, a news anchor. She'll be a model. Like we're, we're just going to like bless her and then she'll make money and she can take it back to you so you can run your farm. It's going to be awesome. No, that's not what happens. Those girls are kidnapped, locked in a room and then forced to have sex with like 30 people a day. It's just, it's like the worst possible thing you can think of. 
So we look, we, we, we look at that and we think, that is horrible, that is terrible. Like, I wish I could do something to stop that. I wish I could just do something to stop sex trafficking. Jesus also wishes he could do something to stop sex trafficking. But you know what he thinks? He thinks if, if we go and we just stop sex trafficking, if we just stop that, that's like going to a, a, an evil, wicked tree and chopping off the branches, but you don't hit the root, and it just keeps growing back. So what Jesus says, he always goes for the heart, the jugular of the heart. He goes for it, and he says, listen, you've heard don't commit adultery. You've heard, like, don't do bad sexual things, fill in the blank, whatever it is. He says, you've heard that. That's what's said. I want to take it one step further. If you even look at somebody and lust after them, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. Are you, are you with me? Do you know, are you with me? Yes. Do you know what he's saying? He's, he's not just saying, I want to stop all adultery. Jesus wants to stop lust. And you're thinking, and you're like, man, that's such a huge, like crazy thing to try to do. You know how he tries to do it? Through you. He calls you to be his followers. And he says, if you're going to be my followers, submit yourself to me and my rule. And I will get rid of that lust in your heart if you'll surrender it to me. I will get rid of that anger. We look at the world and the war and murder. and We say, I wish we could stop war and murder. Jesus wants to stop anger. It's crazy. He wants to cut it out at the root. And for us as Christians, if the way we view sin is, sin is bad for me, but it's okay. I'm growing and, you know, I'm going to get better. And one day I'll be sinless in heaven. If you're just living for that final destination, you're missing that if right now as a Christian, if you give in to sin and you just say, oh, one day I'll be clean of that and I don't have to try that hard to actually give my life to Jesus, what you're doing is you're not on Jesus' side. You're literally advancing the kingdom of darkness. You're not advancing the kingdom of heaven. If you're living in sin right now, you are literally furthering the kingdom of darkness. Does that make sense? It's crazy. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not calling you to perfection because he's the only one who can be perfect. But what he calls us to is to submit ourselves to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to give my sin to you. And when I fall down and make a mistake, I'm going to get back up and keep walking with you. Got more stuff, but I'm gonna save it for tomorrow. Here's the last thing I'll say, okay? I can be long-winded, I know. (laughs) Thanks for listening. The last thing is just simply following Jesus, living for the kingdom, changes everything. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. And you're here today, and there are things in your life that you want to see changed. There are things that you're struggling with. Some, you know what? If you're human, you've come up here with sin, okay? I'm a human. I have sin. I make mistakes. I mess up. You do too. Jesus changes everything. In my life, what I've found is when I go to Jesus with my sin and my problems, my struggles, my doubts, and I stop trying to figure those things out on my own, and I stop trying to live for myself, and I lay those things at his feet, just like I would a king, and I say, this is everything wrong with me. I give it to you. You know what he says? He says, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take everything that's wrong with you, and I'm going to give you everything that's right with me. And then you are going to become everything that's right. That's amazing. Like, it, Jesus changes everything. 
And I know like some of this stuff probably sounds really simple to you, but it's, it's a truth that I need to tell myself every day. Because I slip, I stumble, I make mistakes. And some days I find myself living for my own kingdom. Trying to live for myself, trying to go out and make it for myself and make things happen for myself. When Jesus calls me to live for him. Guys, you are called to something so much more than just going to church, going to camps once in a while, going out and sinning, making mistakes, going back up to camp, repenting, repeat, 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 repeat. God has called you to live for his kingdom. And guys, like... When I get there, when I get to that final destination where heaven is fully realized and we see everything that God meant, when we see that we get to walk with God, spend time with him again, live with him, ask him questions, hang out with him, get big bear hugs from God. Like, I'm so excited to show up and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to make him happy. I want to live for him, not for myself. And just, I don't, are you going to do another song or anything? Or you got to close out? As we're singing this last song, or however many Jake wants to do, I want to just challenge you guys, just as we start things out this week, if you are here and you know you're a Christian, you're saved, you're going to heaven when you die, but you've been missing out on living for the kingdom of heaven right now. You, you're saved, but Jesus' kingdom is over here, and you're over here living for yourself. You know how easy it is to get back where you're supposed to be? It's just asking. It's just saying, God, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Pick me up and plant me where I'll grow and where I'll do great things for you. So tonight, as Jake's leading, I, just, I challenge you, pledge yourself to the kingdom. Pledge yourself to the king. Say, Jesus, you are king and I want to live for you. I want to follow, follow you. It's all about you. Does that sound good? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I'm so excited that your kingdom is advancing. I'm so excited that you have called us, this youth group, to be a part of the force of heaven. God, we see the sin in our world. We see the destruction. We see the horror. And we see sin the way it wrecks our own life. God, help us to pledge ourselves to you, stop living for ourselves, and take back ground for your kingdom. I pray that that would be the motivation of our life, everything we do. The kindness that we show, the love that we share, the gospel that we preach. I pray that none of these kids would think that's for a pastor to do. That's for a counselor to do. But I'm just a teenager. God, you want to rock this world with teenagers. You want to use them for your mighty work You are the lion-hearted God who has come to save and the work is not done. Help us, God, to not be asleep in the light. Help us, God, to not let the people around us sink down into sin when we have an opportunity to lift them up and pull them into that kingdom. Thank you, God. This is where we live. This is what we do. This is where we're going. We love you, God. We pledge ourselves to you tonight. In your name, amen.